It's a minute past the hour of six o'clock. Good evening, good evening, good evening. This is the Mark Riley Show. I am Mark Riley, which is why I'm talking into what I think is a microphone. Glad you're with us on this Wednesday. It is Earth Day. And I think people ought to take some serious attention, pay some serious mind to issues regarding the environment, climate change, solar power, whatever. And I think in that regard, maybe people ought to think about shrinking their own individual environmental footprint just a little. See, the thing about Earth Day, the thing that bothers me about Earth Day is that you will have corporations that will spit pollution in the air, pour junk into the waterways, and mess with the water table without even caring, and they will all profess to care about the Earth. They'll all take out ads and say, yeah, we're down with Earth Day, too. It's kind of like having some people who salute Martin Luther King one minute and then promote voter suppression in the other. It's kind of like hypocritical. Now, I, I don't want to, you know, rain on anybody's Earth Day parade. And up here in North Jersey, it rained like crazy earlier today. But I don't want to rain on anybody's parade here. I understand Earth Day is important, but when everybody for one day can claim that they're environmentally conscious and then go back the next day to doing exactly what they do, whatever it is, then it kind of defeats the purpose, no? Or is that just me? Maybe I'm crazy. I just get the sense that Earth Day ought to be every day that we ought to be thinking about issues regarding our environment. I saw a video, I think it was on Facebook. Somebody put it up on Facebook, one of my Facebook friends. And it had a guy in the middle of the desert with some ancient, like, I guess, old logs or old pieces of wood. And that's the only thing that's, you know, you can see for miles around. And then he says, you know, to the children, to my grandchildren, children and children's children, years from now, sorry. And he said, you know, this was the Amazon. Used to be full of trees. So you guys don't know anything about trees now. And, you know, with all the talk about trying to save our kids by balancing the budget and all the rest of this kind of foolishness. Oh, our children and grandchildren are going to be paying for our legacy. Yeah, okay. How are they going to pay for our legacy, if we don't do anything to help save the earth. And I'm not, look, I'm no alarmist, all right? I'm not saying the earth is going to collapse into itself tomorrow. But if you look at some of the projections, if you look at the drought in California, 
if you look at the possibility that certain cities, South Florida, the New York area, L.A., if we're not careful, could have tsunamis that make parts of these cities that are near bodies of water uninhabitable. It's possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Maybe there ought to be a debate about whether or not it's going to happen. But it could happen. And I don't know, you know, after Sandy, which I have refused to call Superstorm uh, super Sandy because it sounds like a character I'm from the WWE, for God's sake. But after Sandy, you know, there was a lot of talk about building a whole sheep around lower Manhattan to try and keep the water out so that we wouldn't end up in any kind of a disaster situation, which we almost did and which several areas of New York City, in fact, did. But are people talking about it anymore? I don't hear it. Now, again, maybe maybe I'm living in a, a cloistered environment. Maybe I'm just not hearing what everybody else is talking about. I know that today everybody who has a mind to will pay lip service to Earth Day. And this is not, repeat, not to dog the people who legitimately have a concern about the environment and they express that concern 364 days out of the year, and then their concern is heightened today because I know there are people out there doing the work every day. I'm not trying to denigrate anybody except those who pollute and at the same time pay lip service to Earth Day, and you know who you are. We've got a lot of show for you. That was just my preamble, by the way. We've got a lot of show for you this evening. Um and I must say, week to week, I'm hearing more and more stories about people dying either in police custody or after encounters with the police. We've got two of those stories now. And I have to wonder whether or not what is normally a whisper in this country about police brutality isn't turning into a scream. Yeah, a scream. It's getting louder and louder. The Baltimore Police Department identified six officers who have been suspended in the death of a 25-year-old black man named Freddie Gray, who was taken to the hospital with a severed spinal cord after being chased and arrested. He died on Sunday, did Freddie Gray, a week after he was arrested. Now, this is a very strange story. Now, I have to say, the elected officials' response here not bad. But regardless, there were protests on the streets like there have been protests on the streets of Staten Island, on the streets of Ferguson, Missouri, on the streets of Cleveland, Ohio, on the streets of dozens of places around the country where unarmed black people, whether it be through a traffic stop, whether it be getting chased down after allegedly doing something, but when the cops chase black men seem to almost inevitably end up getting hurt or killed. And you see other situations, and I talked about this before, so I'm not going to get into it too deep, but it seems that race is a factor. Now, I'm not trying to play anybody's race cards. I don't believe there is such a thing as playing the race card, not in this society, but be that as it may, race seems to matter 
when you start looking at who ends up and who turns up dead at the hands of police. Now, Lieutenant Brian Rice, according to the New York Times, was senior officer involved. Officials said it was a lieutenant on the scene, part of a team of officers patrolling on bicycles who made eye contact with two men, one of them Freddie Gray, before they fled on foot, prompting the officers to pursue them. Officer Garrett Miller filled out the statement of charges for arresting Mr. Gray, accusing him of carrying a switchblade clipped to the inside of his pants pocket. Officer Miller, a member of the department since 2012, wrote, quote, The defendant was arrested without force or incident. Well, we know that's not true. The guy's dead. Also suspended, Sergeant Alicia White, Officer William Porter, Officer Edward Nero, and Officer Caesar Goodwin. I'm sorry, Goodson. And it looks as though, I mean, Baltimore has a black mayor, Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, black police commissioner, Anthony Batts. And they released a lot of information fairly quickly. They have promised a thorough and transparent investigation into the circumstances surrounding Freddie Gray's death. Another death in the public eye. Charleston, North Charleston, South Carolina. I forgot to mention that. We were just talking about that last week. So we see that this is getting to be all too frequent a situation. Down in South Jersey, a 35-year-old Parlin, I didn't even know there was a town called Parlin in Jersey, he was shot and killed by a state police trooper Tuesday night, that would be last night, after he allegedly rammed a carjacked Jeep Cherokee into another parked vehicle and then accelerated in the trooper's direction, authorities said. Now, to me, the operative word here, or words, are authorities say. At times, not always, at times, there is a reflexive validation of police conduct in these kinds of cases because they seem to be setting it up to make it sound as though it was righteous shooting this guy. Apparently, troopers from the state police, uh, state police's interstate theft north unit were investigating carjacked and stolen vehicles they were alerted to the location of the Jeep, which had been carjacked in Bloomfield, New Jersey, from its owner on April 13th. Troopers conducting surveillance observed the car parked at an apartment complex when a man identified as Daniel Wolf arrived in a pickup truck, parked and got into the Jeep. This is about quarter to six in the evening. They converged on the Jeep to arrest Wolf when he reversed the car and ran the parked vehicle. He then allegedly accelerated forward in the direction of a trooper who fired multiple rounds and struck him in the head. State trooper's office did not say how many of those shots actually hit Wolf. He was taken by ambulance to University Hospital in Newark, where he was pronounced dead. Three troopers were taken to Overlook Medical Center in Summit, where they were examined and released. State uh, Attorney General's shooting response team is investigating. And uh, we'll see what happens with that. We shall see what happens with that. Now, these are but two of a number of these kinds of cases that have gone on recently. 
And again, the inference from the coverage of this particular story in, in, in Jersey is that the cop was justified in shooting because the guy was driving at him. We'll see whether that's what actually took place. And just as importantly, we'll see whether people believe that's actually what took place. Because that's becoming more and more important. There is a slow and subtle erosion of public, not just black public, public confidence in police departments across this country. And each new incident, like a wave hitting on the beach, eroding sand. Well, each of these incidents erodes public confidence. And I'm going to tell you something, and we're going to have a guest coming up in just a minute. What I find fascinating about this is the very real possibility that unlike virtually every presidential campaign I have ever covered, the issue of police conduct in African-American communities can at least end up being discussed in the presidential sweepstakes. You know, people, uh, even, uh, not even, Democrats, I'm not going to say even Democrats, they don't deserve the even. Democrats, look at you like you got three heads if you want to say, well, well, let's ask Hillary Clinton about police brutality. Let's ask Barack Obama. Let's ask Lincoln Chapey, who apparently is thinking about running against Hillary. Let's ask Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, the rest of these people. So, uh, you know, why not? Uh, why shouldn't police brutality be an issue? I don't know why. It's, it looks like it is starting to be an issue in local elections, municipal elections. And, and, you know, that's a good start, I must say. That's an excellent start. But when is it going to become a national issue? Does it not deserve to be a national issue? I say it does. Now, I've just received word that my scheduled guest, who's a reporter, had some breaking news he had to follow up on, and if he can get with us, he will. And I, I certainly understand that. His name is Chris Freitz from CNN. Some of you have probably seen him. I love Chris. Chris is a good cat. Uh, he's a straight-up guy, and we were going to talk, and we are, in fact, going to talk about the deal that was done when it comes to Loretta Lynch. And now it looks like her vote, her confirmation vote, is going to be coming up shortly. But before we get to that, let me get back to a couple other things here. Um, you know, it, it's, it's one of the great contradictions of our time. And I mentioned it with regard to Earth Day. I mentioned it with regard to Martin Luther King. There are people in government, not necessarily elected officials, who will say and criticize police conduct. I'm talking now about Eric Holder. He's criticized police conduct in Cleveland, Albuquerque, Ferguson, Staten Island. But then there's a situation where a woman by the name of Teresa Sheehan was in her apartment at a mental health center, clutching what her lawyer said was a small bread knife and demanding to be left alone. 
Police officers in San Francisco responding to a call from a social worker forced open the door, blinded her with pepper spray, and shot her. Now, again, Eric Holder talks a lot about cases where police end up shooting people unnecessarily. But when it came to a civil rights lawsuit filed by Teresa Sheehan, when it got to the Supreme Court, guess who the Justice Department sided with? They sided with the police, saying a lower court should have given more weight to the risks that the officers faced. As it turns out, according to the New York Times, piece by Matt Apuzo and Adam Liptak, the Justice Department has supported police officers every time an excessive force case made its way to arguments, even, it, even as it has opened more than 20 civil rights investigations into law, local law enforcement practices, the Justice Department has staked out positions that make it harder for people to sue the police and that give officers more discretion about when to fire their guns. So, you know, a rational person would have to ask themselves, what in the deuce is going on here? Uh, it's very, very strange. What in the world is going on here? Eric Holder, who, by the way, represents the Obama, purports to represent the Obama administration when he makes public pronouncements about allegations of police misconduct. And, and, you know, give him a little bit of credit for being one of the few attorneys general in my lifetime even to bring it up. But the fact of the matter is, he says one thing, but his office does something very different. In fact, the cops think Eric Holder is their boy. I, I don't mean boy in a pejorative sense, but that's supposed to be their boy. Their homie. They see him as an ally. And the uh, you know, civil rights lawyers are saying, what, what the deuce is going on here? My friend Ron Kuby, who I just talked to last week, quote, there is an inherent conflict between people at the Justice Department trying to stop police abuses and other people at the Justice Department convincing the Supreme Court that police abuses should be excused. Now, Given what I see now, and I have to admit, I'm I may a culpa, I'm surprised about this. But what what I see as a rising tide of public anger over police conduct in some communities, it's not all communities. This is a big country. I'm not saying all cops are bad, or that given the opportunity, all cops will act in a racist fashion. I'm not saying that. But given what we have seen recently, what we have seen, you know, videotapes, it would seem to me that the Justice Department and people who would be the president of this country are going to have to think about doing things differently. And by the way, when I say doing things differently, I'm not talking about you know, appointing a task force or a committee to look into these things. Time's passed for that. 
I think most people who listen to this program know the time for that kind of foolishness has passed. It is time to get some something done. It's time to do some work. Now, it may not get done with Eric Holder. may not. And I got to tell you, and, and I have to be very careful in my choice of words here, okay? Um, and and I, I will only say that, uh, full disclosure, a member of my family works in Loretta Lynch's office, and that's what we're going to talk to Chris about. But I do not expect anything different from Loretta Lynch than I've seen from Eric Holder. And again, I'll give him style points, but when the rubber meets the road, I get a feeling he is going to side with law enforcement. She will end up siding, in many cases, with law enforcement. There are some people who are a little different. Ken Thompson in Brooklyn doesn't always side with law enforcement. I can tell you, law enforcement seems like they hate his guts. But this is what we have going on. Now, I'm going to open the phones because we're not done talking about life and death in the black community. Our number is 888-874-4888. Or you can text me at 917-830-3023. I'd be interested in hearing what people think about why there is so little talk in a presidential campaign. And again, the presidential presidential sweepstakes are just beginning now. But think back to 2012. Think back to 2008. Think back even further than that. Democrats and Republicans who wanted to be president avoid talk about this sort of thing like the plague. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, I, I hate to be, you know, critical. No, I don't. In this case, let the chips fall where they may. I've said this before. What do you do about police brutality? Mr. President, Madam President, Madam Candidate, Mr. Candidate, Why shouldn't anybody ask you about that? 888-874-4888 is our number. 888-874-4888. Is it me? Now, it's possible that it's just me that sees a rising tide of anger. Now, and, and, you know, before I go any further, don't get any of this twisted. This is not an endorsement of. This is not validating any violence against anybody. But I do see this rising tide of anger. And it's no longer confined to young people. It's no longer confined to major cities. People are pissed. Let's face facts. People are pissed. So what are are politicians going to run around and act like, you know, no reason to talk about that. Nothing to see here, folks. I want to get back to Benghazi, 
or I want to get back to immigration, or I want to get back to the Affordable Care Act, or any of the other things they go over and over and over about, with ever, without ever, touching police conduct. Are they scared? Are they in such close league with the status quo in the police department that they really have, you know, nothing to say about this? And again, you might expect this out of Republicans. You're not going to get much more out of Democrats. You really aren't. Now, we're going to take a break in a minute. But before we do, and before anybody says, you know, oh, you're just talking about black people and the cops. What about black on black crime? You never say anything about that. Well, I'm going to say something about something here. It's about a young man. Young man who was killed, shot and killed in a drive-by shooting in Patterson, New Jersey. One of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Patterson, New Jersey. And it's like such a useless loss of life. The young man's name was Armani Sexton. He was 15, rising basketball star at a charter school in Patterson. The young man who's accused of killing him was also once a promising young athlete. His name is Gregory Oliver. Not all that much different from the 15-year-old kid he allegedly shot and killed. Armani Sexton had dreams of playing in the NBA. He won't. He's been shot and killed. Such a waste. Such senseless, senseless violence. Shot this young man allegedly, according to the police. Shot him in the head with a handgun on Saturday night. Wounded three other young people. Oliver allegedly fired shots that wounded two of them, one in the stomach and one in the leg and fired toward another person who was wounded. But it's not clear yesterday who shot that particular victim. They say that this young man, Gregory Oliver, the alleged shooter, came in freely to police headquarters about 10.30 p.m. Sunday, questioned him, did police, about a previous incident, and he was later arrested on the murder charge, an attempted murder charge, sometime before midnight. Senseless senseless loss of life. And, you know, when, when, when the weather gets good, sometimes the shootings get more numerous, not just in Patterson. Patterson has got a huge problem, by the way, those of you who never venture out to Jersey. Patterson is the nexus of gun violence and heroin. Kids come from the suburbs of North Jersey into Patterson to cop. And if you've been on the street for a minute, you know what the word cop is about, right? It's not the police officer. They come to cop the dope. And as a result, stakes are high in Patterson. Who's going to sell that dope? Who's going to have the guns? And my thing is, how did somebody get, how did this kid get a gun? Assuming he's the shooter, how did he get a gun? Why did he feel he needed a gun? To take another person's life like this? Maybe, maybe not. But he's been charged. And let justice take its course. 
This young man was a player for the Kennedy High School football team, which made the state playoffs just three years ago. Three years ago. He dropped out of school, though. Armani Sexton was the third child to be killed by gunfire over the past year. Genesis Rincon was fatally shot while riding her scooter in July. 14-year-old Nazira Bug, also a promising basketball player, killed while walking near North Main Street in September. Last spring, six people were wounded in a drive-by shooting at the same location where Armani Sexton was killed. You see, this is a problem. Now, you can put it in the context of black on black. If that suits your construct, that's fine. Maybe we should look at it as American on American. You know, because uh, quiet as is kept, white people shoot white people too. But nobody calls it white on white crime. They just don't. Person to person. This kind of loss of life should not happen. I don't care whether it's Patterson, New Jersey, Brownsville, South Central L.A., wherever. It should not happen. It's 6.30. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk some more about some other issues. This is the Mark Riley Show. So glad you're with us. Our number again, 877 not that I, I don't want to mess this up. 877-874-4888. Stay with us. People say I'm crazy. minutes before the hour of seven o'clock it's the mark riley show with my main man the late great john lennon and uh, a song that uh, you know my wife says it, it, it's not the right song to use as theme music i don't know all i know is it fits me at this time in my life you know it's, uh, you no longer play the game well I, I, to the extent that i ever did i don't have to now that's for sure and of course i have the progressive radio network to thank for that. Now, uh, here's another interesting, interesting little police. Story. I don't want you all to think I'm trying to pick on the cops. All right. It's an interesting police story. 
The Supreme Court ruled yesterday that police may not prolong traffic stops to wait for drug-sniffing dogs to inspect vehicles. Now, this is fascinating because it does not eliminate the use of drug-sniffing dogs in traffic stops. What it essentially says is you can't hold somebody. You never see those, these things on TV where, you know, they, they stop somebody and they say, well, do you mind if I, you know, Look into your car, see if there's any drugs inside. That is for a traffic stop, mind you. Look, going through a traffic light or maybe even driving erratically, whatever. And whether or not there's any evidence, that's debatable. But they say, do you mind if we you know, search your car? And if you say no, then they say, okay, fine. We're going to hold you here and bring a, do- a drug-sniffing dog to find out if you got any drugs in the car. Well, while the Supreme Court has said if they got the drug-sniffing dog with them, that's cool. But if not, this ruling says you can't hold somebody until a drug-sniffing dog shows up. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for the majority, quote, a police stop exceeding the time needed to handle the matter for which the stop was made violates the Constitution's shield against unreasonable seizures. By the way, the final vote was six to three. Guess who one of the three was that voted against? (laughs) Well, you know, I don't know. Anyway, this is a a case, uh, Rodriguez versus the United States. Started with a Nebraska police officer, saw a Mercury Mountaineer veer onto the shoulder of a state highway just after midnight. Now, the guy could have spilled coffee on himself. He could have just, you know, temporarily lost control. Maybe he fell asleep. But he veered onto the shoulder. The officer, Morgan Struble, performed a routine traffic stop, questioning Mr. Rodriguez. Denny's Rodriguez was the name of the guy and his passenger, and running a records check. He then issued Mr. Rodriguez a written warning. That should have been the end of the stop. But Officer Struble then had his drug-sniffing dog circle the vehicle. Floyd smelled drugs and led his officer to a large bag of methamphetamines. About eight minutes elapsed between the written warning and Floyd's alert. So he even had the dog with him. But if you write a traffic stop, if you stop, you make a traffic stop, you write a warning, that should be the end of it. Denny's Rodriguez moved to suppress the evidence. Lower courts said brief prolongations of those stops to allow for such inspections did not uh, violate the Fourth Amendment. Now, I have to tell you, if you're stopping someone for a traffic violation, I know there are a lot of police officers who disagree with me vehemently about this. But, you know, if you're going to write a traffic stop, write a stinking traffic stop. Now, if... You ask the guy to open the window, and you're suddenly enveloped in a cloud of weed smoke. That's different. But, you know, what, 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 do you got a spidey sense or something that, some, that there are drugs in the car? And, and no one is encouraging possessing drugs in a motor vehicle, trying to drive under the influence in a motor vehicle. But there's a point at which you got to ask yourself how much leeway should the police be allowed? According to the Supreme Court, not eight minutes worth, that's for sure. It's 24 minutes before the hour. Do we have my friend Michael from the Bronx on the phone? The Michael. one and the only. 
How you doing, man? All right, man. It's been a long time since we last talked. Absolutely. How you been? I've been doing good. I'm just glad it's springtime and the weather's gotten better. You've been through a hellacious winter, quite frankly. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. But what you want to talk about tonight? Well, uh, the delay of the Loretta Lynch confirmation hearing. Now, I believe I'm getting been... to that because they made a deal, but uh, that was what my guest was going to talk about. He called out. He got called out to cover some breaking news, unfortunately. Oh, so can I be your guest for now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. What do you think? Now, by the way, it looks like she's going to, it may come up for a vote as early as tomorrow. Well, it's been a, a long time and unnecessarily. And quite frankly, the stunt that Mitch McConnell pulled, first off, that particular legislation has nothing to do with Loretta Lynch whatsoever. That's of course it does. I mean, look, you know, Michael, clear. you can pull any number of different reasons out of a hat to figure out why they did this. They hate Obama. I know. Which I, no, might I work figured as out a why. Um, they, they, they certainly don't have a problem with Loretta Lynch's credentials, which no, means she don't. should have been confirmed right after they did the initial, you know, the initial uh, uh, confirmation here. Absolutely. Now, Mark, bear with me with this, because you're going to see where I'm going with this. A lot of people say it's because of race. Yeah, race plays into it, and same thing with gender, as other people say. But look at her exemplary record. She has a record of going after corrupted cops, corrupt cops, and corrupt politicians who have been abusive in their positions, and she's the one that stands for equal accountability, equal rights, equal justice. She don't play games, all right? And the thing is, is that I have a feeling that these, a lot of these Republicans have skeletons in their closet. If you go back to the Occupy movement, just prior um, to the Occupy movement beginning, um, there was a late night, I think I raised this to you before, late night conference call, mysterious conference call, amongst all Republican governors and mayors nationwide. What they were discussing is anybody's guess, but later on you were able to put two and two together, and we had the Occupy movement in New York City, places in Florida, in Detroit, Michigan, Oakland. There was always the same systemic pattern of police abuse shutting down and trying to silence the people protesters and doing it so abusively and violently as if someone was giving the doggone orders. So the thing is, is that I think there are a lot of Republicans that are afraid of Loretta Lynch becoming attorney general because, like I said, she is not afraid to go after the abuse of corrupt cops and if it needs to, if it needs, or should I say if it means going up to the top brass, even those that are elected into office, misusing the police and telling them to, or giving them orders to engage in unlawful, unconstitutional practice. Well, now, Michael, here's the thing. There may well be a silver lining in all this. True. Um, And that is that, you know, we got uh, elections next year, and to the extent that there are senators that need to be reelected, there could well be a backlash here. You see, because this this was McConnell's play. McConnell's play is, okay, we couldn't stop him from getting reelected. Remember, McConnell, McConnell was the same guy who said their mission was to make Barack Obama a one-term president. You remember that? 
I, I definitely remember that. And there's another part to all this. And the thing is, is that it's been like five or six months since she had the hearings to prove herself worthy. So what you say, just hypothetically speaking, if what I'm saying is correct, that these Republicans got skeletons in their closets and they were afraid of whatever evidence. My, um, Michael, let me, let me explain something to you about politicians, whether it be Republicans, um, Democrats, House, Senate, State Senate, State, they all got skeletons in their closet. These are not perfect people. I was putting that mildly. I was putting that mildly. You don't think that five or six months passing by will be enough time for them to possibly, say, shred some damning evidence, if you know what I mean? No, because, see, the damning evidence isn't going to come up at her vote. It's not. No, I know that. They're just going to vote up or down on her. Now, once she becomes attorney general, that That's ends up being point. a very different set of she's not going you know, she's not gonna be uh I don't think as her first priority running around trying to prosecute senators. She, that's not no, gonna be her first priority. Be. She may get around to it if, if she gets some prima facie evidence. To me, it's, Michael, the true test of Loretta Lynch, or for that matter, anybody else that is gonna be attorney general, including Eric Holder, is what is their record in police brutality cases. If they can't, if, for example, a local court can't get a true bill like they did in, in, in the Eric Garner case, no true bill, no indictment of the police officer, is Loretta Lynch or any other attorney general, for that matter, prepared to step in and aggressively look into whether or not federal charges ought to be brought? That's exactly my point, Mark. Thank you. Because the thing is, is that when you got the video evidence and you got certain pundits or even officials that are trying to say, oh, there was no chokehold or don't believe everything what you see. But yet, well, that's Patty Lynch, people. man. That's where, look, Patty Lynch. He's the big problem. It, he's, no, but see, he's doing what a guy in his position feels he has to do. Now, we'll see whether it works. Because he's got an election coming up in June. But that is true. But there is a big difference. That's what these guys do. I mean, I got a another lot. story here about the head of the captains endowment association making a fool of himself. But I'll get to that mm-hmm. in a minute. Got to run, Michael. But thanks a lot for calling, man. Right on, man. Yeah, have a good day. 877-874-4888 is our number. 877-874-4888. So, uh... They, you know, for those of you who really care about this, Loretta Lynch's uh, vote was sidetracked because of a bill that was designed to help victims of sex trafficking. Now, Loretta Lynch doesn't endorse sex trafficking. Loretta Lynch has nothing to do with passing a piece of legislation that deals with sex trafficking. There was some back and forth about language in the bill and stuff that was going to be uh, attached to it, including, by the way, uh, from what I understand, a a pretty whack part of this that was going to be attached by uh, David Vitter. You remember him? From way down yonder in uh, Louisiana? He was going to attach something to it. Something that that I thought was like completely, completely whack. And in the meantime, Loretta Lynch has waited longer than any other cabinet secretary nominee in the past three administrations. And with all that, she's going to get confirmed. What was Vitter's little amendment? 
He wanted to tie the sex trafficking bill to immigration, limiting citizenship granted by the 14th Amendment to those whose parents are already citizens or legal residents. You see, this is the kind of whack stuff. This is going to lose the Republicans the Senate if they keep this crap up. Now, a minute ago, I was talking to Michael <clears throat> about another story we have here. Roy Richter, who I, I've never heard of the guy before, but he's the head of the Captain's Endowment Association. What's his problem? His problem has nothing to do with captains. It has to do with new training materials for the current class of police recruits. I assume a relatively small percentage of which will end up being captains. Just the sense I get in all this. But he is saying that these new training materials could lead to second-guessing and life-or-death situations. Quote, Overwhelming police officers with minutiae makes them increasingly uneasy and unsure of themselves when force is required incidental to lawful police action. That is dangerous for both the officer and the public. What is he upset about? What do the new materials contain? Advice like, don't be racist, don't make sexist jokes, and tell people why they're being stopped. That's too much information for a cop in a life or death situation. It was supposed to not a life or death situation. Is it too much information to say to a cop, don't be a racist? Don't tell sexist jokes? Tell people why they're being stopped and frisked? Is there, is, is there something I'm missing here? Or is this simply whack? Is this simply a segment of the law enforcement community having gone off the deep end about all this. Because uh, Ed Mullins, certainly no commie leftist pinko, the head of the Sergeant's Benevolent Association, said that his union had input in the instructions. So what's the problem? What is the problem? And Roy Richter doesn't represent the incoming class of police recruits. Ah, you've got a right to speak up on their behalf. If that's what you think you're doing. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's pretty much making a fool of himself. But hey, you know what? That's just me. We'll see whether uh, his rampant speculation has any basis in fact. Telling people not to be racist could create a life or death situation, could create hesitancy on the part of the police. What, you mean you're chasing a, a rapist and you say, wait a minute, I, I, I can't make a sexist joke? What, I don't understand. Hey, you know what? That's just me. Yellow cab rides. Now, this is the oldest problem in New York as far as cabs are concerned. Any of y'all ever try to get a cab, like, during rush hour, when there ought to be a zillion cabs on the street, but suddenly they seemingly disappear? It's also tough to get a cab when it rains, but that's a different set of reasons. It looks as though, and, and see, I, I'm thoroughly convinced that part of the reason why they're even looking at this stuff, and by the way, including cabbies in this, but part of the reason why, they're doing this stuff. It's because of Uber and some of the other alternate transit systems, vehicular transit systems. 
that are coming to play here. Uh, the city's TLC, that's the Taxi and Limousine Commission, got about 40 computer geniuses, cab drivers, and urban planners over last weekend to try and figure out how to get more cabs on the street during a rush hour. Now, the headache stems, according to the New York Post, from the fact that one-third of the city's yellow cabs go off-duty between 4 and 6 p.m. each weekday when the driver's shift changes occur. When driver's shift changes occur, missing out on about 11,000 trips a day. Now, with Uber on the scene, guess what? If the yellow cabs can't pick up 11,000 trips, you don't think Uber's going to take a shot at getting some of them? You know, I, I, I know some guys, guys I've known for years, who are driving for Uber, man, and I don't know a dissatisfied person among them. So if there are 11,000 trips being missed because the cabs got to go back to the shop, back to the, to the uh, base between 4 and 6 o'clock for shift changes, and mind you, cabbies now drive like 12 hours a day. So it would seem to me that if that's the case, and it seems like it is, they got to do something. Because losing 11,000 trips a day, if you figure how many, how many cabs are on the street during an average day, that's money taken from a cabbie's pocket. And it's going straight into the pockets of Uber because... The people that want cabs usually don't want to jump on the train to get where they're trying to go. There's a reason why they're looking for cabs. Now, apparently, they figured, and by the way, they used a Google service called BigQuery to analyze reams of data. And one of their suggestions is to give drivers more flexible shifts. Instead of two 12-hour shifts a day to choose from, Cabbies ought to be given eight and 10 hour workdays and have more flexible start times. Changing the start and end time is something we want to consider, according to the TLC commissioner, Mira Joshi. We are hoping to get some good ideas about flexibility and shifting. It's been a strictly interpreted 12 hour shifts. Well, you know, it's, it's nice they did this. They ought to ask themselves, why? It's been this way for so long. Why is it so strictly interpreted? They also suggested looking into whether drivers could change shifts at gas stations. Don't have to. Why do they have to go back to the garages? Why don't they just change shifts? Uh, Because, you know, cabbies got to get gas. Why don't they just change shifts at gas stations? They got the technology to make that work. Now, Sometimes cabbies that go off duty get stuck in rush hour traffic heading to Queens. But they would want gas stations near subway stops. They also said that cabbies ought to get their own lane on the Queensboro Bridge. Not happening. <laughs> okay. Not happening. Nice idea if you're a cab driver, but not happening. Why does it take 90 minutes to change shifts? I've never quite figured that out. Uh, but anyway, they, they, they've got some good ideas out of this. They better hurry up and implement them because Uber is breathing down their necks. Make no mistake, 
about that. Now, uh, this next story I find really weird. Uh, and it's happening in two places. It's happening in North Jersey and it's happening in Manhattan. Police have reported the capture of an aggressive coyote. This follows an attack on a local man in Norwood and a day-long search. According to the Norwood Police Department's Facebook page, quote, the aggressive Summit Street coyote was just captured and is en route to the state lab for testing. Unfortunately, two dens have been found near the school, near a school that is, Norwood Elementary, I think it is, and it is unknown if our Summit Street problem has been solved. Traps will be placed next to the two dens, and hopefully this problem by the NPS uh, by the NPS will be solved. Now, apparently, late-breaking news, one of the coyotes they captured in Jersey tested positive for rabies. Now, a guy named Steven Sinisi was walking his dog around midnight on Sunday. He got attacked and bitten by one of these coyotes. And that comes after a 77-year-old Saddle River man was bitten earlier this month. Now, if you watch nature shows, you might know that coyotes, generally speaking, don't like to get into confrontations with humans. Apparently, uh, one of the coyotes that apparently like bit a police tire, a police car tire in Norwood, I think he was the one that, that actually tested positive for rabies. It's getting out of hand. And to make matters worse, it looks as though there are coyotes on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Uh, it looks as though one of the creatures eluded police officers in Riverside Park by mid-morning today after taking in the sunrise from atop a, a of Big Rock, sneaking up behind Columbia University and visiting Grant's tomb. The coyote nestled in the park's brush, having outlasted the police. But now, uh, from what I understand, they caught that coyote as well. So they're two for two in the coyote catching department. But, you know, when, when these kinds of things happen, I always wonder, like, what is it that caused a coyote? If you assume that there have been coyotes, you know, in this area for whatever reasons, whatever circumstances, what caused the newly aggressive behavior? And why are there suddenly so many of them? And why are they suddenly so visible? Coyotes, by and large, don't like to be visible. And the thing is, in Manhattan particularly, you know, uh, with a rodent problem, coyotes love rats. <laughs> if they can catch them, coyotes could get fat off of eating New York City rats. But we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Well, we're almost out of time, but it's time for my To the Ridiculous segment. And this one, I have to say, this to the ridiculous segment kind of uh, reinforces my belief in human nature and reinforces my pride to an extent <laughs> being a resident of the Garden State of New Jersey. And it certainly reaffirms my faith in the good people of the state. What am I talking about? There's a guy named Jim Boggess from Flemington, New Jersey. He put a sign in the window of his deli 
Jimbo's Deli, asking people to celebrate their white heritage for the month of March. Uh, according to my friends at the Wong Ket, who put this story up, apparently Bogus never got the memo that all the months are white history month, including the one where Americans perfunctorily make note of famous black Americans throughout history. So apparently after he put this sign up, uh, he lost a ton of business. People stopped going to his spot. They said mean things to him. And despite the fact, according to this report, that he actually shook hands with the customer who complained in the first place, people are a little unforgiving about this. So what does he do? He starts a GoFundMe called Jimbo's White History Sign Gone Bad. He's begging for money, this guy. And this is what he says. Not me, Jimbo. (laughs) It was only supposed to be a white thing, but people read more into it than that. I did get tons of supporting letters from all across the USA, which was very comforting during such a stressful time. Then the bottom dropped out and customers were no longer coming to my deli. And now I am forced to close down my deli and lose my American dream. Don't you feel bad for this guy? I I certainly do. Uh, Let's see, where was I? I have become heavily in debt and getting shut off notices from everywhere for businesses and home. I don't think I deserve this just because I wanted to be proud of being white and be able to celebrate my heritage like everyone else does. If you read this, please leave a comment and what state you're from so I'll see where my support is coming from. Thank you for all the support, and I will stay strong and hope to find a new job. End quote. So Jimbo lost his business because he had no better sense, no better sense than attempt to celebrate white history. And, you know, it's not like Flemington, New Jersey is an all-black neighborhood or anything. The people that were staying away from his spot were, I assume, in the main white people who figured the man didn't have any sense, for God's sake. I mean, maybe they don't support Black History Month. I don't know. I don't care. All I know is this is poetic justice if I've ever seen it. Goodbye. Have a nice trip. Right if you get work, which apparently he hasn't yet. Well, it's time for us to go. Oh, yeah, I hear the music in the background. So, I can do anything I want, but I can't do it here. My thanks to Jason Taubenfeld, all the good folks at the Progressive Radio Network. We'll be back next Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. For the Mark Riley Show, I am he. Have yourselves a great evening and a better week ahead.